Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. I'm Caleb. I'm Mark. And I'm Eric. And we're three best friends from high school who've spent the last 10 years in the film industry and realized that freelancing can be a lonely business. So we built the Video Community, a place where filmmakers on all parts of their journey can come together and empower each other's growth and success. On today's episode, we interview filmmaker Tiff Tyler. With Tiff, we explore the art and alchemy of nonconformity when building your dreams being open to tweaks and pivots while pursuing your goals, and we dive into the importance of having more female filmmakers on set and in the industry at large. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. I don't think, have you met Caleb or Eric before? No, no I follow. Her. I yeah, follow. I started following her on Instagram right after you told me about your conversation. Though, so I. Oh yeah. Okay. I've been great. following along. Cool. Oh okay. That's great. So like, Thank you. I think Caleb knew of her, but so no, I did. Well, I've been I've been trying to push to get her on the podcast for a while. Yeah. Oh so shoot. We're happy okay, to have you're you. My, you're my new favorite. Okay. Thank guys. you. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> catch up, baby. Catch up. <laughs> All right. Well, Tiff, welcome to the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. Like I told the boys and you just now, I've been trying to get you on for a long time. One thing that drew me to you immediately was your mindset. And I love the the hustle and the work ethic and like all that combined. And being in the film industry, I mean, that is literally on point why we built this podcast. But before we go into any of that fun stuff, we always like to start with the origin story. So what is the origin story of Tiff Tyler? Quick, quick origin story. Uh, I asked for a camera, I think 10. I'm like, I don't want to copy Tom from your other interview, but I think 10 years old. I think it was somewhere between 7 and 12. Like, I know it was young enough just because I saw some guy. I don't know who it was or what the image was, but looking through a viewfinder. And there was something about it that really captivated me. And I asked my parents for it. And they were really good about Christmas gifts. We get best Christmas gifts. Um, and so my parents, they're all entertainers. My mom sings. She was almost signed to a label at one point in her life. My younger brother sings. My older brother raps. My dad used to be a DJ. All a musical family. And so I was like, well, here's my little thing that I could do. I'll just record all these this craziness. That's all I did was just record. My first uh, editing class was my freshman year, 14 years old. And it was a video production class in high school. And that was where Final Cut 7 was introduced to me. And then it just became this really cool thing of now I can actually change what's going on and, you know, don't have to think about the in-camera stuff. Now I can cut it. Fast forward a little bit, girls basketball team, which I was on, wasn't amazing at, but I was on, uh, was recording the games, right, every game. And I was, I think, a junior and all the seniors were going to college. And the first time I cut and got paid for it, which I didn't, it never even occurred to me, but I made the girls highlight reels for them to submit to their colleges. And a couple of girls got in, which was cool to hear. And they wanted more copies, but that was my first paycheck. And I was like, oh, so this is fun. I like to do it and people will pay me for it. Cool. So it was a no brainer to go to college for it. Have my bachelor's in it. When I was in college, I did a lot of random stuff just to work at it. But my first internship, I learned Premiere Pro. um, And that was beautiful because uh, the guy's name is Mike. He was and I'm still in touch with him. 
but he not only taught me Premiere, but he taught me how to organize and how he sees things and how he cuts and audio. I mean, he taught me scratch this, like where, how you set things, like all the little details that I did not get in college. And I, after just watching movies and writing about them, which I don't regret when I was there, I was frustrated. Now I don't, I'm not frustrated about it, but I was very frustrated that I didn't actually have, you know, more of the technical side as far as my classes and everything. So yeah, bachelor's degree, I got out. First job in the industry was a wristwatch company, um, uh, doing production for them, shooting one minute white background videos, but we also had a live QVC style show every Saturday and Sunday. So it was my first time getting to direct. I wrote my first script. It was two watches going on a date. Lucien Picard, now that I know how to pronounce it, I could not pronounce any of these watches. I swear I would wait. I literally would wait until people would pronounce it first because I was so bad at it. But that was the first script that I wrote was a date with two watches. And and then the L.A. story. I don't know if that's the origin you want to, but that's all before L.A. Uh, and that's me up until I graduated around I was 22 years old when I graduated college. So that's me up until 22 as far as my film journey in the beginning, beginning. And while I read somewhere, that was your first and last time as an employee. Yes. Oh, the employee life. I I still, I didn't know. I mean, I understand national holidays, but you know, employees get holidays. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, we got a three-day weekend. I'm like, why does everyone have a three-day weekend? Oh, it's Labor Day next week. <laughs> got it. Like, <laughs> I, the hardest thing about not being an employee is, like, I never know when all the holidays are because um, there yeah. are no holidays. Honestly, I don't know. Can you relate to that? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. That actually, totally. it's so funny you bring that up. That happened to me just yesterday. So I was supposed to have a doctor's appointment today. My doctor calls me. She's like, sorry, something came up. I need to move it. Well, let's do Monday. She's like... The office is closed Monday. And I'm like thinking like, who closes their office on a Monday? And <laughs> oh, it's Labor Day. It's Labor Day. It's, it's so hard. But yes, that was the last time that I was an employee. And it's fun, funny enough, the first, I, while I was there, because I think you guys can, if you, you guys have had a lot of different gigs, the first three to four months of almost any job or gig I've had, if it's been that long, I know what I'm doing by then. And I tend to get a little bit bored. Depends on the, the contract, but I tend to start to look in different places, try to think of something new, try to be creative. The first book I read while I was in that production job, after I realized that it didn't take me eight hours to do my job, it took me like four to six. Um, I started, I read, the first book was called The Art of Nonconformity by Chris Guillebeau. Mm. And that book changed me because in my head, I was like, you get the production job, you make money at this. This is better than most people. They don't get to get paid at what they love. Like you are good. You're established. But just reading that book reminded me of the L.A. dream that I did have, but didn't talk about too much. Didn't really go too far into. I did a lot in college, but I had figured, okay, I can stay in Florida. I can do this. It'll be fine. But that book was the beginning of a bunch of books. Then I started reading The Alchemist. I started reading all these things that were just like, there's something else, there's something else. And if you read The Alchemist, he leaves his home. And there's something, you know, that was the biggest part. I don't want to ruin the end for you, but that was the beginning was leaving home and leaving what he knew and leaving what what he already established. And so L.A. was the dream. And I started saving up money, not sure how it was going to happen, how I was going to get there, but saving, saving, saving money. And my cousin, thankfully, it's actually her birthday today. I know it won't be when you guys release this, but I'm going to make a very special Instagram post for her. But she was moving to L.A. She lived, she lived on the East Coast as well. She was moving to 
LA and my grandmother wasn't her because we actually were first cousins, but we have barely spoken to each other our whole lives. Um, but uh, <laughs> my grandmother was like, hey, she's moving. I know you want to go to LA. You two should go together. You can watch out for each other and you'll have somebody there and you can start. And a lot of calls and prayers later, it worked out. And in October of 2014, we both moved to Los Angeles. And that was the beginning of zero contacts, a little bit of money in the bank, but just going after the Hollywood dream. Yeah, well, a couple yeah. things on that. Um, I'm actually reading The Alchemist right now, like literally That's right so now. Good. Started it just a few days ago. So very apt you should bring that up, which actually also brings me to my next point. I feel like the universe sends you signs. Mm -hmm. You have this dream, you have this vision, and the universe will answer. And so you have this opportunity come up. A family member of yours is heading out to L.A. because you've been been thinking about it. And it's like you always have this choice, right, the power of choice. You can either go down the path and grow and see where it takes you, new trials and tribulations, or stay, and I guess in context of this book, conform. I would say that you made the right choice. My start was in post-production management for weddings. And you're right, like a year in, it's miserable because there's no, I didn't feel like there's any growth anymore. An eight hour job could be done in three. So what do you do? You just sit it's there. It's ridiculous when you figure that out too, because you're like, I'm like I don't want to cheat these people, but I'm done and I don't want to <laughs> get paid less. But I mean, uh, it's over. Yeah, I hear you. It's 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 strange to me still just working nine to five. And when people really do figure out you don't need to do more, it's it's then what? You know, like it's it's interesting that you guys are looking for all the different you're interviewing so many different people to see all the different ways that they work, because and that's the reason why I share my agenda on my Instagram, because I am so curious on what people are doing all day. I, I know you're not doing what I'm doing. I look up to people. I even like Lewis House, like probably one of the biggest names I've worked with so far. I don't know what he does every day. I know what he's doing when I'm there. I know when we're recording. But I, yeah. I mean, he is such a workhorse and I just wish I understood on a regular basis how he works, but his day never looks the same. And that's why I like to share my agenda. My day doesn't look the same. I could work eight to six every day or nine to five every day, but it changes. And to show that change, to show that growth and to, like you guys are doing, talk to more and more people. It just only helps to see that there's something else, right? There isn't just this one thing. But if you read The Art of Nonconformity, it's the very beginning, the intro that got me. Um, if you do want me to explain, tell you what, what it was. Oh, or lay into it. Let's, let's Go hear for it. it. Okay. So <laughs> basically the scientist is doing an experiment with these monkeys in a cage. And at the very top, there's food at the cage. And every time the three monkeys go to climb up and get the food, there's a shock. To the point, they do it over and over and they realize they cannot go up there and get that food. They're going to get shocked. The scientist removes one monkey, right? There's a new monkey in there. Two of the old ones, one of the new ones. He removed the shock, but the monkeys don't know this. The one new monkey who's never been in this cage goes to try up and get the food, and the other two monkeys pull him down, knowing that he's mm-hmm. going to get shocked. They stop him, right? And the scientist continues to remove monkeys and establish new ones where none of the original monkeys are in that cage anymore. But no one goes up to that top. Every time a new monkey tries to go, every other monkey is pulling them down. They're just following suit of what they've been taught. 
So beer, like none of these monkeys have ever been shot. None of these monkeys, like they just know that you are not allowed to go up there. You cannot go up there. Something may happen, whatever, but they, none of them have felt it themselves, but they have all been trained to stay and not go after it. And that, like, I'm almost in tears thinking about it. It was like, what? And that's the beginning of the book (laughs) and the rest of it. But that shook me. I had to read it over. I just remember, I mean, like I said, I was in the studio, probably not recommended. I was at work, but I remember (laughs) reading the first part of that book again, just like, wow, I am here. I'm in this job, but man, there is something else at the top. And so even coming here, coming to LA, trying this out, there was no, no one in my family, my immediate family is an entrepreneur. None of them work for themselves necessarily. And so my dad is doing it now, which is great. He loves cars. He's got his own car dealership and I'm so proud of him, but they couldn't tell me what that looked like. Right. And even when I was thinking of moving to LA, of course, my parents are afraid for me, right? They're, they want to make sure I'm okay. They want to make sure everything's all right. And and the, it's so funny because I love everyone I worked with in that first job, but they were afraid for me. What would happen if you go and do it? And they're all production people. And in, my, in the back of my head, I know they would love to do it too. And they encouraged me to do it. But all the negative stuff too was just right there. And so I just thought about that monkey in the cage. Like, yeah. They're not doing it on purpose, but all this fear and stuff that's been established of if you just go to a new city with with no contacts you know, or and just try this out like you something bad could happen or you could fail or and all these different things. So I think about that so much. I think about that even towards the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, where I actually had like a really bad time out here and thought I was going to move back home. Um, because financially things just changed. I've been an independent contractor, going back to your point, I've been an independent contractor for six years. No one has to pay me anything. I don't need to work for anyone. So while I love that I've done over 300 interviews with a lot of different cool people, tomorrow, if no one wants to hire me or or have any work for me, then I got to go figure out how to make the money. And so there's been these ups and downs, but that monkey in the cage, I'm like, ugh, but ugh. Oh, I got to keep climbing to the top. Yeah, I love that so much. If that's not a picture perfect example of what society kind of looks like, I don't know what it is. Oh my gosh, it is. I mean, like it's just like what you said. People don't mean to, and I and I totally agree. I think for the most part, people don't realize how deeply ingrained their own fear programming is. And yeah. I also believe that a lot of people are also afraid of someone else doing it especially when someone else has given up on their dreams. The thought of someone else living out their fantasy also brings a new source of pain. So the way that they relay that form, it can be like, well, you better be careful. You better watch out or this bad thing could happen to you because those are the same reasons they talk themselves out of their own Mm -hmm. desires and passions. The crystal shop owner in The Alchemist. As you are reading the, if, and anyone else who's listening to this, read The Alchemist because the crystal shop owner, I have met so many of them and I love them. I understand that they, but sometimes you're so wrapped up in the idea of the dream that you're not actually going for it. And so mm. that's the other person that you're talking about, I think, right? Like there's the people who are scared and who don't want you to to, to kind of like wrap it up. And I think the people who had that dream too, like you're saying, but didn't go after it. And really they live just for the idea of the dream, but won't, but are so afraid to move forward in it. And so I'm with you. I think people are doing this subconsciously. I, I have been, 
through so much pain out here. And I honestly don't think anyone has actually intentionally put that pain on me, right? Like I, I truthfully can't believe it because I've made mistakes. I've made people feel a certain way by accident. Like, so I don't believe anyone's intentions are to do this, but I, I think it's so important that we continue to move forward and see when you when you recognize a crystal shop owner, if you read The Alchemist, when you recognize a crystal shop owner, it's actually very encouraging to keep moving forward because it's like, nice. I'm not going to get stuck here. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep take, taking that next step. I'm not going to get stuck in the idea of this dream. I'm going to go execute it. And if I fall, I fall. But at yeah. least I, I try it. Falling is part of it. Falling is part of it. Falling on your face and it hurting is going to be part of it. But if you just get up and you keep moving, so many more adventures lie ahead in ways that you can't even see right now. And being honest with yourself, too. Mm -hmm. So when you fall, right, which will happen, you can't avoid the pain, but you can make it through the pain. When you fall, taking a moment to understand if this is something you want to continue to try or if you need to pivot is also very important because I have met, Yeah, you know, I know you guys follow Gary Vee because like I said, I cheated. I listened to your Tom interview. Um, but <laughs> that self-awareness, right, of, of, okay, this didn't quite work out. Am I going to keep trying to force something that I may not actually enjoy or not be talented in? Or is there something, am I so close? Oh, I can't remember what book I read. I read a lot of books. But they were talking about when you're moving forward, it's not that you're following one path, but you're almost uh, this kind of a Chase Jarvis thing. When you have an idea in your head and you can actually create it, the more and more you practice, right, the gap kind of closes as far as you being able to create it because you've, you've established all these skills. And I kind of think of that creative gap as like that life gap. Like we're moving forward with a path that we can't quite see, but as you try different things and you fall, you try different things and you fall, you, I feel like you get closer to your true north, right? Like you're, you're mm. getting closer to what it might actually be because my whole thing was, I'm going to move to Hollywood and be on set all day. I got on set, thankfully, and I realized that there were a lot of crystal shop owners and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. they are miserable and not miserable. This is a cool job to have. But I, like anybody, think of being on set as like this beautiful ballet, this dream job. It's like sparkles mm. everywhere and people are happy and you just need this beautiful <laughs> shot. Like I had such a weird idea of what being on set would be like. And then I got there and I was like, oh, 80, 90% of these people are nine to five. They are union workers and yeah. that's cool. It's cool to have a job title. It's cool to be here. And I'm not saying that they're miserable necessarily, but I met a lot of people who were in the lighting department who really wanted to write their script and they had their script for 20 years and it wasn't going anywhere. And I don't believe that it won't go anywhere in 10 years, but I started to hear a lot of the repetition. And I was like, oh, this is just like working nine to five unless I can get above the line and be the director and be, you know, be a little bit more at the top, I can actually just unionize, pick something, and then I could actually just be yet again at the bottom of the cage. So I think you want to establish the, that freedom to fall. And you also just want to give yourself that grace that this may not necessarily be what you had in your head may not be exactly what's going to happen, but you, you're getting closer to your true north the more that you try different things and let you yourself explore. Yeah. Yeah. Tweaks and pivots is something that we talk about a lot 
on the journey. Cool. Tweaks, tweaks and pivots. Uh, yeah, nothing ever goes according to plan. If it did, though, we wouldn't even need to make this podcast because everyone would be living their dreams and uh, all this knowledge would be free source and everyone would just know it. But that's just not not how it operates. But honestly, and this might be a controversial opinion, I think it's better that way. Not that not everyone knows that. I think everyone should, but that I think it's the experience like to me, that's part of what this journey of life is. It's about experiencing. Like, how can you truly know pleasure without pain? How can you know true happiness without the balance of sadness? This is what creates the human experience. And us as creatives, I think it's the understanding of life experience that right. gives us creativity, that inspires us, that motivates us to create. Yeah. I agree. You got, you got me all excited. I'm always excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. I'm, I literally, I, I'm such a, I always quote something at a story. It's almost like, do I, well, my answer is too long, but it helps me paint the picture. You know, it, it's yeah. like, I, this is where my brain goes and I'm with you. I think of, I mean, just to establish, you know, my first year out here, I was doing a lot of different gigs and now I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, the, the first director I worked with, Michelle Williams, um, Believe in Me Again video, uh, Matthew A. Cherry, who won an Oscar last year, last year for Hair Love, was the director of that. And that is still my only IMDb credit. And I felt so bad, like, oh, I only have one IMDb credit. But then I look at him like, but it was with an Oscar winner now. Cool. Yeah. Um, and he just <laughs> hit the Forbes 40 under 40. So shout out to Matthew A. Cherry. But, you know, I worked with him. I worked with a couple of Emmy Award winning cinematographers that I got the chance to meet. And it took a little while. I ran out of money. I had three months worth of money saved up. I ran out of money by the fourth month. And by the fifth month, I, because I was just kind of working as an intern a little bit with the LA Sparks, just so you know, my cousin, that was the job that she got. She worked with, she was the vice president of the Los Angeles Sparks. She came home one day with some videos on her phone and said she wanted to pitch something to her boss. Can I make it nice? This was literally my second day in LA. And I was like, well, I could just tweak the lighting a little bit because it's a phone video and, you know, make it a little bit nicer. But I spent five hours downloading B-roll footage from their YouTube channel, finding music, putting some graphics together and trying to make these phone videos the best phone video ever. So I'm like, this is my first L.A. gig. It's free. It's for my cousin. I don't think anything's going to happen from it. But here you go. And I stayed up the whole night. She showed up to her boss the next day and they brought me in. And um, that was the first money I made out here was just like just a day shoot of doing those videos for them. But nothing, nothing else promised. Right. So I just kind of started giving them some marketing ideas because she would come home, go over all the ideas that she had for her job. And I told oh, maybe you guys should try this. Maybe you guys should try that. And I ended up interning with them for these four months. Right. That I'm just trying to get established and get and pay bills in another way. Thankfully, I was with her. She was cool with paying the rent. Like I said, happy birthday. Shout out to Janina uh, for that fourth <laughs> month. She paid the full rent. It was not split that month. And I ended up working with the LA Sparks for their season. That's kind of what we were talking about just now, about being okay with it being pivoting. Yeah. My, well, I sent my mom a picture of me with the LA Sparks logo in the background, right? Like, I got it. I, I got the in, I got the contract. And she sent me back a picture, me at 16 years old, on my vision board saying I wanted to play in the WNBA because mm -hmm. I was on the girls' basketball team. But like I mentioned, very terrible. But that's what I had on my vision board. And so I didn't play in the WNBA, but I worked in the WNBA, that's you know, great. like – Awesome. literally 10 years just about less than 10 years later and so it's that's what I mean about getting kind of closer pivoting like you my dream still came true a dream that I had forgotten about came true yeah. 
so many years later in a completely different way than I thought it was going to. And so I got that. And and then that's what led up to then the Lewis house, the podcast, and that became a different chapter of my life. But that was my first year in LA was a lot of odd gigs and that contract with the LA sparks, but just literally closing the book on a dream that I never, I I didn't think I would actually hit in my lifetime. Well, you know, something that I admire about you, Tiff, and I think if anybody follows you, I think they would say the same. Is like, it's your consistency, you know, at least on on one platform of Instagram, you know. But really, I think it's um. probably much deeper in your life than just off of social media, right? You just have shown like what consistency will do for anyone. Obviously, we're speaking to filmmakers, but just like putting in the effort every day, whether you know where you're going or not, mm-hmm. and just sticking to that commitment to see your dream and have it become a reality, even though you just don't know. You don't. And I, it's so funny because I used to beat myself up. I'm like, man, I do so much stuff and I don't post a lot on social as far as like YouTube and stuff like that. And it's crazy because when I started with Lewis House, we kind of transitioned to that part of it. He had like 30,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. And now he was hiring me to be full-time video. He would kind of do a couple of videos, but not so much. And I moved him to 300,000 subscribers in like a year and maybe a month, wow. right? From 30,000 to 300,000 because I was posting on his YouTube so much, right? Yeah. And in my head, the whole time, I'm like, you got to make a behind the scenes. You got to do your own video. But I would not have been, and I'm not making an excuse. I'm more so speaking for people who are like me, who have done a lot of cool stuff. But yeah. the consist- like I appreciate that compliment. The consistency has been for the brands that I've built. Exactly. And it's been hard to build it for myself because it's like you can't do a 50% job and be good at it. I would not have survived almost five years in the school of greatness by making sure that my videos got up, you know, at the same time his was like, I needed to pump out these hour and a half, 90 minute videos. There were some days I wanted to make sure I said this because it's like a little bit of like releasing of some of the trauma. Like we would record (laughs) a three camera interview at like 8 a.m. on a Tuesday. The podcast goes up Sunday nights, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. And we this was the podcast that had to go up on Tuesday night. So we'd record it at like 8 a.m. But we might have I remember we had a double header one day. We had to do 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. And I needed to get that 8 a.m up by that night the full video plus the promos so you're talking about recording for like three four hours right and i'm monitoring three cameras by myself the audio by myself which if you're a filmmaker listening to us i assume you are you are on high alert the whole time you can't relax (laughs) you are thinking about is something recording is the shot out is the audio sound okay does he need to i mean for three hours four hours straight then i need to actually copy all these huge files over at one point we we're doing 4k which is ridiculous but copy all these files over get into this multi-cam edit it have everything up by that night and you know those were the kinds of turnarounds that i was doing and i appreciate what you're saying because i admire lewis i admire Corio webb i admire all of the people that i work with because they're so consistent and sometimes i forget that i am a big part of their consistency <laughs> like yeah. i am helping them be this consistent posting all over the time all over the place and uh so i i really appreciate you saying that because i i, I just get in this like beat up mode like oh you should be posting so much more across all these things but i get hired by these really cool people because <laughs> i am so into their brands to help them post and establish but you guys are finding me at a very good time um, I'm kind of like transitioning out. I was the lead producer for Lewis. I started off as his videographer in uh, 2016. 
So we had so many ups and downs and team changes. We, you know, me being the only videographer, then growing a team of editors and all these great things. There was another podcast producer. She stepped down. So I stepped up and I was about two years, uh, the lead podcast producer for video and audio, three episodes a week, no breaks. I mean, I'm working on Christmas. He doesn't do seasons. So there's wow. no off season. That's, you know, how you hit a thousand episodes in seven years. You don't have any seasons. You just keep going week after week. And and I recently, I, I actually made the decision at the end of last year, but it took a while to find somebody, a good replacement and train them up. And so for the last two months, I haven't been the lead producer of this podcast that has been on my mind for four and a half years. Um, still on Team Greatness because I think, it's like a weird thing. Once you're on Team Greatness, you never leave Team Greatness. But, uh, you know, uh, it's like a it's an interesting thing. Anyone who's worked there, they understand what I'm talking about. But um, you could leave for like four months and come back for two weeks and do a project. We're just that kind of family kind of team. But now I'm in this place where what you're talking about, the post leading back to the posting and Instagram and everything. Now I'm like, wow, what I've been consulting him on and working on what I've been consulting Koyo Web on and working on and a few other brands that I'm working on currently. Now it's my turn. <laughs> like yeah. now what, what is that going to look like? So I'm really happy to be recording this podcast during this time because I don't have an idea of being an influencer. That's not where my brain is at. I do want to create more videos for people who are established and who are making it, but I, now I get to kind of turn the camera around, right? I'm no longer behind it. I get to be in front of it. I get to share some of these messages. Like I said, that compliment was so great because I'm like, yeah, now I get to show the consistency for myself. I, I've done it for so many people and I love what I've done. And now I get to show up for me. And that's a whole other mental game of the deserving of it and the worthiness and the all of those conversations. But I'm just, I'm so excited to show up for me in the way that I've shown up for other people. I'm so excited. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm so excited to be in the experimenting phase again. Like just the trial yeah, and awesome. error, the fall, the the slight accomplishment and fall again. Like I'm excited for that because I survived it already. And so yeah. I know that I can survive it again. Can I, uh, can I kind of uh, change subjects here for a little bit? Sure. Um, our industry is very male dominant. However, we just, we love the way that our industry and I think a lot of creative industries have made way for the future of really just equality, you know, for everyone, you know, and especially for me, I've got three daughters. So now I'm way more prone really? to it. That's awesome. Than, uh, you know, than I've ever been in the last five years. But, you know, we do. I mean, we've got a lot of women in our Facebook group, a lot of followers, but we haven't had a lot on, you know, and that's something that we are trying to be more active about to get more on. And not just to say like, oh, we're equal, equal, but like what, how we talked about different perspectives. Perspective. You know, mm-hmm. and when you can invite different perspectives of the world on t- into a conversation then your dreams and, you know, your goals and the vision of life can just explode. Um, So I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, you know, what advice would you give to other women who are just starting out? What kind of inspiration can you share with them to get them inspired to, to keep pushing and dreaming? I get asked this question a lot. When Lewis Howes interviewed me, I was the only female to apply. And he asked me why I thought that was in my interview. He was like, why do you think you're like, there's not that many women behind the camera? And I gave him two answers. 
The first one was, I said, was because we don't see each other behind the camera because we're behind the camera, right? Uh, there's just, there's not a lot of, I, I mean, people have attacked Lewis a little bit with the Black Lives Matter movement saying, you're not, you know, showcasing enough diversity on your podcast, even though he has probably, even though, you know, there is a, a larger percentage than others, he's done a very, very hard, like he's done the work to try to find diversity in his podcast because the very first podcast I edited was Lisa Nichols. But what, what I'm saying is when he got attacked, I'm thinking like, you guys know that for like the last two years, a black woman was producing his podcast and every promo that you've seen came from her perspective and not his, but okay. You know, so, the, you know, but yeah. no one knows that you didn't see me. You only see his face. So um, I think one is that we don't see us there and we need to, we need representation. We have to see. And that's part of the reason why I'm on your podcast. Part of the reason why I like, I'm just being a lot more open to, to putting myself on camera. Cause four years ago, if you asked me to do this, I'd be like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to chill. I don't, I'm the behind the camera person. Please don't put this in front of my face. Um, so we need representation. But two, I told him, I think that women bring out a certain vulnerability that men don't. I know for a fact that when Lewis is speaking in a room and I'm behind the camera, it's different when we have a guest shooter or something and it's a guy, it's different. And I've had so many female guests on every podcast I've ever worked with come up to me after the podcast and go, I'm so glad you were here because I've never met him before. And like, it was just nice to see you there as I was talking because she wasn't just talking to him. She was talking to me. I had women of color say that to me. White women say that to me. But it's it's there's something there to that perspective. So I say all that to say, and then that's what got me the job because he was writing the mask of masculinity at the time. I had no idea he was, but he was actually (laughs) writing the book on male vulnerability and how men need to be more vulnerable. So part of hiring me was actually him living up to his word of being more of a vulnerable man. And so I say all that to say that we do bring a difference. Like I'll never forget Kobe Bryant shaking my hand before we started the interview and shaking my hand after the interview and just being like, there were two other guys with me. He only came up to me. Why? You know, there's something about it. And so I encourage women who are thinking about it, who kind of picked up a camera, wasn't quite sure about it to just play around and see if you like it. I think everything, like we said, is pivoting and test and trial, but it's not just the work. It's the internal believing that you're good enough and you can, because when you don't see yourself on TV, when you don't see yourself in the movies, you kind of feel like you're in a box of what you can and can't do. And so I just encourage you to not just do the work and pick up the camera, but to do the work on yourself. Like I run as much as I can, 5 a.m. in the morning, For an hour, I did this morning five miles because I needed the courage and confidence to come on this podcast and own who I am 110%. And like that, that is what I do. I ran 1400 miles in the last two years because I've been establishing this confidence that I need because I know it's not just picking up the camera. It's not just watching that YouTube tutorial. It's not just learning how to write and reading um, uh, Save the Cat and all the great writing books and stuff. It's at, it's, it has so much more to do with believing that you're worthy enough to be on the camera, that what you're saying, your voice matters, that these things matter. And if you are a woman, a woman of color, maybe not a cisgendered woman, there's a lot of things around you sort of vocally and unvocally telling you that you can. And so it, it's yeah. that's the also the reason why, you know, Black Lives Matter and things have come up and people are feeling very uncomfortable. And I just encourage people to understand that it's not just because people are saying 
white people win. You guys have more opportunities. You know, three white guys on on the podcast. Like, no wonder you're so 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 successful. Like, that's not where my brain goes. My brain goes. There was that. It was probably as far as your race, not the belief that you couldn't do it. Maybe your parents told you don't do it though. I can't sit here and say that you didn't have struggles. Maybe your parents didn't believe in you. I've met people who parents completely stopped talking to them because they followed their art career and they were like, we're not going to, that's it. You're done. So there's, there's a lot of struggles, but on top of those struggles, now here comes another one where I just, I walk into a room. I can't turn off the fact that I'm a black woman. You see me, you've never seen me on your set before. Now you having to choose to take the leap of faith and do something by like hiring me when you've never hired a black woman before. Right. I've been on sets where I am the only woman, like you said, only woman behind the camera anywhere in the technical side. But I know that while it's scary, I am opening up the mind of other people to maybe hire another woman behind the camera. So the inspiration, I'm just trying to make sure it's full circle here, is to do your research, try it out, play with it. Don't be afraid to buy a camera and try some new things, but also understand that it's going to be so much more breaking down all of the barriers that you didn't even know were there in your head and every day choosing to believe that you can do this. Like that is my beat the sun. When I wake up and beat the sun before the sun comes up, when I finish that run, it's like, okay, I already beat the sun today. Who in the world is going to stop me at this point? Like who can say anything to me that's going to make me feel like I'm less than, or I can't do it. Like when you wake up at 5am and run five miles before the sunrise, like then you can talk to me. But I think this is, you know, I, I, I got enough today. I've already won today. And now everything else is just icing on the cake. So I just, in anything, you can also be a white male listening to this and going, I don't believe that I can be a filmmaker. And I encourage you to yeah. do the work, <laughs> to to establish all those different things that make you want to do it and believe And what's what is it going to take outside of the work that you do to make you believe in yourself? So I am a, when you guys say you follow me on Instagram, like, it's so cool. Thank you. Because I get way more likes. Weirdly, I post Tony Robbins on his private jet that I filmed. And it's like, oh, a couple of likes. I post myself beating the sun. And it, it's like three times the likes. Because we want to believe in ourselves, right? I thought I got yeah. to post all the celebrities. No one likes my celebrity photos. <laughs> they all like the beat the sun stuff and everything. I've been hired. I literally got hired to go to Chicago and New York to film a wedding conference these people did not know that I work for celebrities. They watched me wake up every morning and run and were like, we just want to be around you. Can you just be like, we just, <laughs> that's awesome. You're talking I about two, $3,000 gigs mm-hmm. from just waking up in the morning and running. So you can create these opportunities for yourself, but I, I, I um, I'll end this inspirational, hopefully rant with this. I, I watched this Chris rock stand up. He said something about when he was on the side of a road trying to fix like People, people help people who are moving forward. He was on the side of the road and he was just kind of like waving, trying to get somebody to stop, right? No, none of the cars stopped. He's just trying to like hitchhike it, get somebody to stop and help him. Nobody stopped. So he starts actually trying to work on the car, opens up the hood and, and then people were stopping, seeing that he was doing something and wanted to help him. And I was like, he was definitely, he had a lesson there, right? He was saying like, people are helping people who are moving forward. If you're waiting for that phone to ring, if you're waiting for someone to come to you, like it won't happen. But if you're just moving forward, it could be in a personal goal. It could be in a work goal, but these are the things that open up those opportunities so that as you're doing that work on yourself and you're like, I do want to be a cinematographer. I do want to be a steady cam and you're a woman. 
cool. Keep moving forward because the people are seeing it and they want to help you, but they're not going to help you because you post every day on your internet, you want to do it. They're going to help you when they see that you're moving forward. And they're like, oh, maybe she can help me with this. Maybe she can help me with that. So I, I can't give like one, two, three words, I'm sorry, of inspiration. I just think our lives are so complicated. And we're such complicated beings that there's different levels to it. And give yourself yeah. that grace to hit those different levels. Honestly, that was a very eloquent way for us to wrap this particular episode Get out there and do it. Sum up today. Get out there and do it. People will doubt you. Move forward anyway. You will fail. Move forward anyway, as long as you're moving. All about movement. Tiff, it was great having you on. I can't wait to have you on again. And for all of our listeners out there, stay safe and have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ambitious Filmmaker. Have something you want us to talk about? Interested in chatting with like-minded filmmakers? Join the conversation over at our free Facebook group and subscribe to our Instagram. Just search the video community. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be creating.